Well, we're turning to the book of Habakkuk again, and I had intended to be finishing our studies in Habakkuk by this Lord's Day, but the Lord didn't have it that way. Um, so we will return to Habakkuk when I return, um, and a couple more studies. I'm sorry it has been so disjointed, uh, but uh, the Lord knows best, and uh, we're coming back to the book of Habakkuk today. We're going to take time to read the full first chapter together. Uh, I would like to speak to you under the title, A Wandering Faith, A Wandering Faith. And as we think of that wonder, we're speaking of awe, um, that someone would be on, in awe of the Lord in all of the Saviour. Habakkuk chapter 1, please. And we're reading from the verse 1, and we'll read the full first chapter together. The burden uh, which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not see it. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Of course God's voice now begins to speak and answers Habakkuk and God says in verse 5 behold ye among the heathen or behold ye among the nations and regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe though it be told you for lo I raise up the Chaldeans that better and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs they are terrible and dreadful Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from afar. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand and they shall scoff at the kings and the princes shall be a, shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend imputing this his power unto his God. Now Habakkuk's voice comes in. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Therefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. And makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They, they catch them in their net and gather them into their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense into their drag because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? And we trust the Lord will bless 
the reading of his word to each of our hearts today. Scripture often gives us the lovely imagery of a father who looks after his children or a shepherd tending his flock to help us understand the character of God. But as we meet with our prophet Habakkuk again today, we find that he tries to understand and figure out what God is doing in his time. And for Habakkuk at this point, as we read chapter 1, he feels, he feels like the shepherd has started to kick his sheep. A horrible picture. A shepherd kicking his sheep rather than gently punishing and chastising them and bringing them back to the flock with his crook. And of course, last time as we began our studies in Habakkuk, we met the prophet and we thought about his unanswered prayer. He was concerned about how sin seemed to be rife and abounding in the nation of Judah and how God seemed to be doing nothing about it. And he wondered why it was that God seemed to be silent and God had delayed his answer as the prophet had pleaded and there was an unanswered prayer for quite some time. But then, of course, came God's unexpected answer. God told him that he was going to do things, but they were, but the things were going to get worse before they got better. God was going to chastise his people. You remember how God took Habakkuk's eyes off his own nation, but said, Look to the nations, behold ye among the heathen, behold ye among the nations. We thought about how God is at work today across our world in all nations, how he is saving souls across our world in all places, and he is sovereign and in control of this world, still saving in these days of grace and in these days of mercy. We thought of how even though things can be tough, We have a God who is still on the throne, who is drawing his children closer closer to him as we depend on him by faith. And as we come to the word of God again today, we find Habakkuk and he still has more questions to ask the Lord. Last time we considered the title, The Wavering Prophet, as his faith wavered. But today we're going to see that he takes a step back and he begins to be in wonder, the wandering prophet. He's in awe of his God as he asks himself the question, well, who actually is God? You see, we'll find that the prophet, as he wanders through his problem, it causes him to take that step back and consider God's characteristics and ask himself the the question, even in the trial, who is the God that I serve? Wonder, do you ever find yourself asking the question, do I really know the God that I serve? Am I familiar with all his ways? Or do I just know about the parts that make me feel great, the the parts that suit me? You know, he's a loving God, one full of mercy and grace, one who is touched with the feeling of my infirmities, one who comforts his children when life gets tough and the list goes on. And these are all true of God and promises that we ought to cling to. But I wonder, are you, are you familiar with God's dealing with sin? Are you acquainted with God and his ways? Sometimes when things are going horribly wrong for ourselves or in the church or in our nation, we can be a little like the prophet and begin to question God's ways in our hearts. But often it is that God will put us through the fire of testing to refine us. And make us a better person or people for him. The question is, do we allow these trials to strengthen our faith or not? 
course, you'll probably probably be familiar with that little chorus that we used to sing maybe in Sunday school years ago. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home. Easy to sing. But the reality of life kicks in. It doesn't always feel like we can smile in the storm. Sometimes the smiles of the Christian life can be wiped away. Maybe you're sitting here in the building today, maybe even listening online at home. And you feel that bout of loneliness. Life has been so tough. Loved ones are no longer here. Maybe there are people who are sat here and unbeknown to the people who sit around you, you're ill. The weight of that illness weighs on you even today. Maybe there are people, maybe you're dreading going to work tomorrow. That There's that storm that's been brewing in the workplace. And the storms come and the smile seems to be wiped away and the joy is drained. Maybe you've prayed and the answer that you seem to be getting isn't what you would have expected and things are just so tough at this time. Well, here is Habakkuk and he's in the exact same position and things are getting worse. And as far as he concerned, is concerned, God's first answer to his prayer, to be quite frank, in Habakkuk's eyes, well, it hasn't really been an answer at all because things are getting worse. In fact, God's answer, as far as Habakkuk is concerned, it's created even more problems. The Babylonians are on their way, and they're going to take over the land. How can a holy God use a wicked nation to punish his own people? It feels like God is being inconsistent with his character. But let's see and learn from the prophet today. We arrive in verse 12. And this problem of everything seemingly going wrong around doesn't look like stopping anytime soon. But I love this. What does the prophet do when he doesn't understand what God is doing? Does he just throw the towel in and say, that's it, this is a mess, and God's making it worse, I'm done with this. That's not what the prophet does. What's Habakkuk going to do? He feels completely stranded with his problem. He's up against it. He hasn't got any solid footing. He's standing in a swamp. He's standing on thin ice. He's trying to reckon with the problem while it's staring him right in the face. And he can't do it. Are you feeling that way, dear brother, dear sister? You're nearly at the end of yourself. You can't go on any longer. Listen to what Habakkuk does. He does a very smart thing. He backs away from his problem. He backs off from the swamp and he gets himself back on the solid ground. That's the key to what he does. Verse 12, art thou not from everlasting? O Lord my God, mine holy one, we shall not die. Dear brother, dear sister, Habakkuk hits the pause button, he stops and he takes a, a step back and he asks the question, who is God? Up until now, Habakkuk has tried to diagnose what is going on by himself. But all of a sudden, he's now backing up and he's standing on the solid ground. And instead of fooling around with what he doesn't know, he backs up to what he does know and he starts there. And in his mind, he's saying, now maybe if I start with what I do know about God, I can come to some kind of conclusion about what I don't know. Now let's not forget what's going on here. A long period of silence. Then God comes along and gives this very vivid description of what the Chaldeans are going to do. Verse 7, they're terrible and dreadful. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Verse 9, they shall come all for violence. 
and the prophet is looking about him and he has asked for a solution and this for his niece and this niece and the Chaldeans they're on their way do you remember Psalm 41 it tells us the heaven rage the waters roar the mountains shake it's a turbulent scene but what's the command given at the end of the psalm even when everything's going wrong in that sand be still just stop take a step back consider the holiness of God yes things seem terrible now stop trying to make sense of the situation on your own understanding look up be still stop sitting worrying about the situation be still and know that I am God do you ever really stop and consider God So Habakkuk, he backs up and he is still and he considers what he knows about his God. And that's what we find him doing in verse 12. What's the first thing he says about God? Well, look at verse 12. He says, art thou not from everlasting? What's the first thing he says? Well, he says, hold on a minute. He says, God is eternal. If you look at verse 11, he's been thinking about the Chaldeans' gods and it says there, and God has told them, then the Chaldeans' minds shall change and the Chaldeans shall pass over and then imputing their power to their own God. And Habakkuk goes, who's their God? The Chaldeans are going to come down, they're going to wipe out Israel. And Habakkuk's told by God that when they did it, they are going to think that their own God enabled them to do it. And they're going to start praising their own God. We can almost hear Habakkuk say in verse 12, wait a minute, their God? What is their God? What is he? Why, my God is eternal and my God is from everlasting. That's what I know. He's not like the God of the Chaldeans. He's not like the God of any man or any nation. He is the God from eternity to eternity. That's what I know. My God was there before time ever began. My God is the God of time. In fact, my God created time. He is the eternal one. Time dwells within God. That means that from your birth to your death, God has been there the whole time and he's been there before it and he'll be there after it. Before the Garden of Eden, when all of creation was made, God was there before it and he will be there after it. And the whole timeline of history of the universe dwells within God. Do you know what that means? God was at the Red Sea as he delivered the people from the hand of the Egyptians. God was with Paul and Silas as they sat in that prison cell singing praises to his name and the earthquake. He was at your birth. He'll be at your death. He is present in your life. And dear Christian, at every moment, he isn't going to leave you because he's always been there and he always will be. He's the eternal God and he will continue to be eternal when time is ended and earth is no more. What a great God. And Habakkuk says he's the everlasting God. His throne His realm, his rule is outside of time. He rules this universe eternally. He is not subjected to time. He oversees the affairs of this world from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. When it comes to you and me, dear believer, this prophecy of Habakkuk written nearly seven centuries before the Lord Jesus stood in this earth has so many precious lessons for us to learn. 21 centuries after the Lord left this earth. Why are God's people being murdered in parts of Africa, North Korea, and in many other places in the world? We could ask that question. 
But why are wars raging in this world? Why are laws being introduced to our own country that stand against our beliefs and standards? And I, from my human, mortal standpoint, and you too, don't have the answers. We don't. But what do I know? Back up. Be still. My God is the God of eternity and he cares for his children. That's what Habakkuk says. Art thou not from everlasting? I'm going to back up and think about who you really are. But he goes on, look at verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting? O Lord my God, mine holy one. You see, he he also discovers and reminds himself that God is mighty. God is mighty. In fact, look later on in the verse, it says, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. He says, O Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. That means, that little word, O Lord, it means I am that I am. And what really it's speaking of is how God is not dependent on us. He does not need us. He is self-existent. And remember what he said to Moses. He said, say that I am sent you. You're standing on holy ground. Remove the sandals from off your feet, Moses. You might have problems. My people might be in slavery. But I'm ready to free them. But your God is holy. The great I am. I am your God. I don't need you, Moses. You need me. And he knows, and Habakkuk, he knows that God is almighty and God is absolutely all-powerful and God is sovereignly in action and not one single thing happens in this world outside of his sovereign will. And God is the absolute personification of power in itself. If you want the theological term, it's God is omnipotent. El Shaddai, the Almighty One, that's God. The God who created the world out of nothing. The God who stood one day and said, and stood one day and said, let there be, and there was. That God, says Habakkuk, has absolute power, bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see, bigger than all my questions, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. My God is in control. He is sovereign. Not one thing could happen that he couldn't stop and nothing happens that he didn't allow to start. He is the almighty God. He is mightier than the Chaldeans. He is mightier mightier than anything. And Habakkuk, in his language here, he understands this concept God is the one in control and knows what he's doing. And yet he goes on, he says in verse 12, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One. Not only does he remind himself that God is eternal, that God is mighty, but he reminds himself that God is personal. He says, my, my. Dear Saviour, thou art mine. How sweet the thought to me. My God, my Holy One. Yes, God is eternal. Yes, he doesn't need us. But he's a loving father and a good shepherd. And in the trial that you go through today, here's the truth you must remember. This eternal God, this mighty God, he's yours. He's yours. 
My friend, I don't know what you're going through. Dear brother, dear sister, I don't know. And the times when I sit with folk, I can't fully enter into what you're going through and in your mind. Whether you're doubting, whether you doubt God and what he's doing, I don't know what it is. But whatever you do, never lose the sense that you're the child of God. Never lose the sense that you're the apple of his eye and no one can do anything to you unless God permits. And even if your whole world seems to have turned against you, you still belong to this eternal and mighty God. My God, my Holy One, my sheep hear my voice, says the Lord Jesus, and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I don't deserve it. Neither do you. But God wants a personal relationship with each of us. We can say he is mine. That's precious. It's precious. Habakkuk reminds himself, I don't know what's going on, says Habakkuk. I don't understand why the Chaldeans are coming. I don't understand why Judah's going to be flattened. I don't understand, but I'll remind myself that God is eternal and he's mighty and he's personal. He belongs to me, but he also says this. He says, mine holy one. And he reminds himself that God is holy. Of course, verse 12, we read, mine holy one, but we can also see at the beginning of verse 13, he says, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. What does this mean? It means that God can never look upon with approval any form of sin ever. He will never look on it with approval. His eyes cannot behold sin in an approving way. Therefore, Habakkuk concludes that God can never be implicated in a sinful act. Now hold on a minute, God, Habakkuk says. You're an eternal God, so you know what's going to happen if these people come down from the north. You're a holy God, and they're more sinful than we are. So what are you using them for? You can't even look at sin or be implicated within a sinful act, yet you're going to let them come down and murder us alive. And here's what we need to remember. The Israelites had this drummed into them from day one through the Levitical law. They were told that they were told what was clean to eat and what was unclean to eat, what was clean to touch and what was unclean to touch. They were shown through these various lessons and object lessons within everyday life that God was holy, that God could not abide or look upon sin and he abhorred sin itself. And they saw it through the priesthood. They saw it through the sacrificial system. They saw it through the purity laws, they saw it through the tabernacle they saw it through the feast days they saw it through everything that God was pure and God was holy the lessons were everywhere and just as a side note we serve the same God today and out of love for him and with the help of the spirit of God who dwells within us we should strive to live holy lives as well which of course is our reasonable service how's your walk with God The truth is that the Israelites should have known better than to be living the way they were living. And they were glutton for punishment. The fifth thing that the prophet reminds himself of is this. God is faithful. In verse 12, this is what he says. 
O Lord my God, mine Holy One, we shall not die. Now, he may have been trying to convince himself. Some commentators believe that. I don't. I believe he was stating a fact. A fact that he knew about God. You say, well, how can he stand there and say, we shall not die? Not only did he know that God was eternal, not only did he know that God was almighty, not only did he know that God was holy, not only did he know that God was personal, but he also knew this. God is faithful. He knew that God, he knew that God had made promises. What do you mean faithful? Well, you see, God is a God of promise, and God keeps his promises, and he has never failed in proving that. And God made a promise with Habakkuk's people that he would never destroy them completely, but that he would make them a great nation and would number them as the sands of the sea. God had a promise, an unconditional covenant with Israel, which still holds today. And as Habakkuk remembers, he says, wait a minute, we're not going to die. We're not going to be completely destroyed. My God is a faithful God. He's not going to let the Chaldeans wipe us off the face of the earth. He's got a promise to keep with us. And Habakkuk, he's on solid ground. And he's remembering the the promise made to Abraham, that covenant, the Abrahamic covenant given to Abraham, confirmed with Isaac, confirmed with Jacob, confirmed with David. And God said it again and again and again. And Habakkuk remembers that God is faithful. And the prophet couldn't forget that God said, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so he stands on firm ground. They had no dwelling spirit. They had no New Testament for that. That wasn't even in the mind of the prophets. Christ was in Christ was in a prophetic way, but nothing of the instruction and guidance for the inward man found in the New Testament. All they had to cling to was that God doesn't break his promises. And he is faithful. And so we start to get a sense that Habakkuk, as he considers his God, suddenly begins to back up and He stands back and he's still in this time of trial as everything seems to be going wrong. He takes that step back and he says, I'm going to be still and know that you're God. And our time is gone. I have so much more to say here. We'll have to finish it next day. Another four weeks you have to wait. But you know, as I think of the trials that each of us will go through, there's no doubt about it. There's times that you will be left questioning, why is this happening to me? And you won't understand. And maybe from a human under, a human perspective, no one will be able to explain what you're going through. But learn from Habakkuk, who didn't take the towel and throw it in. Who instead took a step back and said, well, who is the God that I serve? And reminded himself, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One, art thou not from everlasting, he said. Art thou not from everlasting? He reminded himself of the everlasting God. He reminded himself that he served Yahweh, the mighty God. He, he reminded himself that God was personally interested in him. O Lord, my God. Mine, Holy One. Dear brother, sister, you belong to the Lord. He cares for you. Personally, he reminded himself that God is holy and cannot behold sin. And he reminded himself that God is faithful. 
I trust that these simple lessons and reminders, there was nothing too complicated there. These are elementary lessons. But I know that I need reminded of these things throughout my life. And dear brother and sister, I trust that you will cling to these truths today. Whatever your trial is, you remember the God that you serve. We're going to sing about our great God. We're going to sing, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art. Can I ask you something? Will you sing this from the bottom of your heart today, no matter what you're going through? We've taken time, we've been still, we've considered who God is. Surely if you're saved, you can sing with full gusto, how great thou art.